Hello and welcome to part three of this Scottish Government podcast on the European Commission's proposals for the Common Agricultural Policy 2014 to 2020. This part of the podcast is looking at pillar two of the CAP, the Rural Development Regulation. Let's start by reminding ourselves what the current Rural Development Rules say. Each member state or region puts together a seven-year Rural Development Programme which has to be approved by the European Commission. Europe gives us a lump sum of money and the programme is co-financed by that European money and by money from the national budget. The European regulation sets out a menu of measures which can be included in the programmes and currently that menu is split into three axes. Axis 1 covers measures to do with developing farm businesses including capital investment and skills development. Axis 2 is mainly the environmental axis including agri-environment schemes, less favoured area support and woodland creation. And animal welfare measures also come under Axis 2. Axis 3 is for measures which are non-farming, including diversification into non-farming businesses and community projects. And the European rules require us to spend a minimum percentage of the budget on each of the three axes. We also have to spend a minimum percentage on the leader programme, which can deliver measures under any of the three axes, but does so through a bottom-up approach led by local action groups. Now the proposals for the new Rural Development Regulation 2014 to 2020 are very similar to the current rules. It's a case of evolution and not revolution. But there are some differences. Firstly, Europe wants each member state or region to draw up a policy document called a Common Strategic Framework. The idea behind this is that the rural development measures are trying to deliver outcomes very similar to those being sought through other European funded programmes for instance under the Structural Funds or the European Fisheries Fund. And the Commission proposes that we would have to draw up a document showing that we are using those different European funding streams in a joined-up way, with no duplication and no gaps left between them. Another change in the new proposals is that while the list of measures available to us would be very similar to the current list, they would no longer be grouped together into axes and there would be no minimum percentages to be spent on particular lists of measures, except on the environment, where the suggestion is that a minimum 25% of the funding should be spent. There would also be the opportunity to group the measures into a sub-programme within the Rural Development Programme. This option to have sub-programmes sounds superficially attractive, but there wouldn't be any additional budget available for it, so the benefit it might give would be perhaps more presentational than financial. And the final important change in the new proposals would be very important for Scotland because it would apply to the less favoured area designation. Less favoured areas would be retitled Areas of Natural Constraint or ANC. In the proposals there would be three categories of area of natural constraint. Mountain areas, island areas and areas meeting a certain set of biophysical criteria. In Scotland at present we don't use the mountain or island designation, so let's focus in on that final category, areas meeting biophysical criteria. This is very similar to the equivalent rule in the current legislation, but the big difference would be that the criteria would be set in the European rules and not left to the Member State. The reason for this is that the European Court of Auditors has said that the current system is too slack. It's enabled some Member States not the UK or Scotland, I hasten to add, to abuse the system and to designate land as LFA, which never should have been. So that's why, in the new proposals, the biophysical criteria would be set in the European legislation. And they would cover things like average temperature, 
the quality of the soil, the steepness of the slope, and the climatic conditions, for instance, extreme wetness or dryness, bearing in mind these criteria have to apply to the south of Europe as well as the north. These criteria are in fact very close indeed to the criteria we already used in Scotland to define our LFA. However, there's an important difference. In Scotland, we used a very fine-grained approach so that individual holdings or even land parcels would be designated as in or out of the LFA. The Commission's proposal is much more broad brush than that. It suggests that if more than two-thirds of a particular parish or electoral ward met the criteria, then the entire parish or ward would be designated as area of natural constraint. This brings about the possibility that a minority of good land in a parish could be brought into the area of natural constraint when we've been leaving it out of the LFA, or conversely, the one poor farm in a parish might fall out of the LFA when the ANC is classified. In fact, our modelling of the proposed criteria suggests that, if anything, we would end up with more land in the ANC than we have currently in the LFA in Scotland. The good news is we wouldn't necessarily be obliged to make LFA payments on farms that we don't think need them. We would have the ability to define a smaller area within the ANC on which we made the payments. How would those payments be calculated? Well, as at present, we would look at the lower income received and the higher costs incurred through farming in the area of natural constraint compared with other areas of Scotland. There would, as at present, be a minimum and a maximum payment per hectare. However, under the new proposals, we would have to take account of any area of natural constraint top-up we were paying under Pillar 1 when calculating the Pillar 2 payments. And we would also have to make the payments digressive above a certain threshold to avoid making very large payments to individuals. The European Commission is aware that under the new system some farmers who are currently in the LFA would fall outside in future and it's therefore made provision for transition arrangements so that they could have a gradual move out rather than losing all their payments in one go. The Scottish Government's view on these proposals is that we have to pay very close attention to the biophysical criteria to make sure that we can designate the right area of land in Scotland. And we also think it's absolutely essential that we have sufficient flexibility to design a new system of payments, a successor to the current Elfast scheme, which meets Scotland's needs. That's the end of this part of the podcast. The next part, part four, will talk about the cross-compliance rules and the next steps.